Welcome in to Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Joe Girard. Good, happy Thursday to you, Craig Hoffman. Good, happy Thursday to you, Joe Girard. Thank you, Craig. 1.40 Eastern time. We're, I'm already way more into my Thursday than I kind of even want to admit, to be honest. Well, it's uh, been a productive morning. We usually, you re- we record this a little earlier, but you have, you're, you know, you got all types of things going on and you do like 97 podcasts a week. So we got to work around your schedule. That's how it works, folks. I, I had to do the one that they pay me for. Uh, that was what was in the way today. Uh, fantastic conversation uh, tonight on Catch the Spirit. Uh, we, we were taping and uh, we talked about cookies. And now I'm really hungry for cookies. So that's another consistent theme of this podcast. I'm hungry. Wow. Cookies, huh? That is compelling content. Can't wait to watch or listen. Uh, do you know anything about crumble cookies? No, I don't. Well, if you knew about crumble cookies, you wouldn't be so salty because they're delicious and everybody wants to know more. So there's that. By the way, speaking of things that are just outrageous, outrageously good. Where were you earlier this week? What do you mean? That house you were sending me videos of? You get a new crib, Oh, yes. Joe? Yes. I was hanging out at a friend's house. Uh, he uh, does very well for himself. Yeah. The, uh, the house I was in, I believe, was bought for 17 or $18 million. Uh, it has oh, a theater room. God. It has the highest ceilings uh, I've ever seen. Two massive master bedrooms. A huge game room. You know, about a six or seven car garage. Looked like there's a small canal somewhere. Yeah, in the backyard, there's a little, like, nice little canal. You kind of lay out on the turf grass he has back there. It was nice. I was just, you know, just a, a chilling kind of a day. Just, uh, you know, I was actually working out of there for a few hours that day. You know, it, the manager job is tough, Craig. You got to go, you got you to gotta go and support the friends, check in with everyone, take your meetings where the meetings are held, and you just, you know, you get by. You could have lived in that house without him knowing for at least three days. <laughs> like, you could have it's just so, been yeah. like, all right, see ya, and yeah. then snuck around like a back door that you had left open, and he wouldn't have known for three days until he heard yeah. you snoring and be like, is there someone in my house? Joe, what are you doing here? I never left. The help might have, because he has help, you know, people yeah. he hires to clean the house, so they could have been uh, ratting me out, you know, as I was kind of hiding between the crevices there. But, uh, you know, nonetheless... How fun that would have been Just kind of camp out for a few days. <laughs> yeah. Well, who wouldn't be, want to play hide-and-go-seek in a $17 million mansion? All right. On to more important things. Coming up on the show today, we have a new segment that we will start doing weekly based around NFL football. Uh, we will talk some more NBA playoffs, the Clippers collapse uh, coming up in sports. And uh, we got a bunch of new stories to hit. There's not uh, one overwhelming story this week. Um, there's, which is crazy because there are like overwhelmingly large stories. It's just when there's so many of them because we're in a constant crisis. It feels like uh, it's hard to isolate one. Uh, but Joe, let's let's start out by you with the fires and and just I would love because here on the East Coast it feels very distant. Like it, obviously everyone knows it's important, but I like I feel like if the news centers of the world. And specifically, the U.S. We're not D.C. and New York, but it we're instead L.A. and San Francisco. The coverage of this would be different. So, can you try to paint a picture of what it's actually like to live in California right now? And you're you're in SoCal, and I know it's worse farther upstate, but it's still pretty freaking bad in L.A. Well, as far as yeah, the fires, uh, there are a couple of big ones that are, are continuously uh, burning. 
and it's giving off tremendous smoke. And I think that's, you know, obviously the fires are horrible and people are evacuating and, and potentially losing their property. But it's the smoke that's billowing out and it's, it's with the high winds and it's just increasingly blanketing the entire uh, circumference of Southern California. And, um, and the problem is it's now doctors are saying uh, it actually could increase the COVID-19 risks um, because of it. Uh, they're saying pollution from the smoke could make people more susceptible and especially um, – a lot of shelters here for homeless and veterans um, are, are very, you know, very overpopulated. It's making it difficult um, for people to kind of dodge the COVID-19 um, because of the smoke. You know, it's so, it's so much smoke up in the air, so they got to go hide out in shelters. But how can you social distance when you're all crammed into shelters? Right. So um, they're really keeping a close eye on how they're going to try to um, navigate that. And they just don't know how to because you got to put the people somewhere, and right. and how do you social distance when you have to house them somewhere in these shelters? But there's so many people now, you can't. They're on top of each other. So you right. know what can what can you do? Yeah, if you got to evacuate your home, and you know all of a sudden the places that people go and they evacuate your their homes are already filled. Um, what do you do? And so I'm like. Are, is the government giving guidance of like, hey, if you have somewhere you can go out of state, like, please leave, you know, that that kind of thing? Are they asking? Are there mandatory evacuations? Like, what's it what's it like being a citizen and what's it, you know, being communicated to you out there right now due to all of the things you just mentioned? So, I mean, yeah, if you're able to stay at home, shelter at home, uh, you know, work for a lot of people working from home. So a lot of folks are OK. Um, if you are being evacuated. Um, they're asking to go to, you know, either hotels or other family members, or you have to, if you have to leave the state, you know, do what you need to do. And they'll let you when, once it's safe to come back, they'll tell you to come back, obviously. Um, those who are losing their homes or those who are homes are really in danger. They're, they're asking those guys to kind of stay away, uh, indefinitely until things kind of subside. Um, and that's kind of really it. I mean, no, because of COVID, no one's really going out anyway. So a lot of people are kind of sheltering in place as it is. And now with the additional smoke and fires, we're just really being uh, cautionary about the entire thing. So yeah. it's just we're just on high alert. That's all. And, um, you know, people are getting by it. Uh, we're getting th- people are getting through it. And it just we just kind of got to wait it out. And that's the other thing is that it's so still warm here, like unusually warm at this time of year. Um in Southern California, and that's been another issue. I mean, we can really dive into climate change as a whole uh, and go on like three or four shows just based on that, but that really has something to do with this. Um, and unfortunately, as you know, our current administration does not want to admit that. Yeah. Uh, president was confronted by a science person the other day. By the way, there's this incredible just dichotomy, this incredible vi- vision that lays us all out. Uh, unintentionally, where you have all the federal people, including the president, they're not wearing masks on one side because they don't believe in science. And then all the California state officials on the other side, like talking about how science and climate change have played a role. And so they're trying to do it in a way that won't make him upset as they're wearing masks. And, And it's just like this visual representation of this side believes in science, this side doesn't. Literally this side, this side. And it's just, it's sad. Um, and it's, it's, inc- it's, it's more than sad. It's like incredibly infuriating 
because even in other countries where you have extreme or not even extreme, but right wing in general, and, and even in some cases, extreme right wing parties that believe in a lot of the same racist, xenophobic, sexist, whatever uh, things that the Trump administration does, they they don't fight climate change like that's a uniquely American thing um, and a uniquely American right thing because of the U.S.'s, or I shouldn't say uniquely, because there's other countries like Saudi Arabia probably that are relying on oil and gas that also have the same interests. But it, it really does come down to the fact that oil and gas magnates here, basically American version of oligarchs, have so much power and they have so much influence in our politics, um, which is, a again, like we could go down multiple rabbit holes with that as well, that there's a financial interest in politicians denying what is undeniable science and the results are catastrophic the results are what we see right now where we have two massive hurricanes that have hit in the last couple of weeks where wildfire season is now a thing and they are enhanced and more destructive than ever um and you have a president who's like the solution is to sweep the forest floor like some dead leaves are what is causing all of this and not the fact it was 120 degrees in LA last week and you know, it's still a hundred over a hundred. It's unseasonably warm all the freaking time. You know, it's, you know, the winds gust at a different rate, which helps spread like all these things add up. And it's one of those things where yes, no single event is like a hundred percent caused by climate change, but the culmination of climate or the culmination of all of these are so much more destructive because climate change makes each individual event worse. And I don't know what the solution is other than just like you have to vote all these people out and then you have to have uh, an administration come in that is extremely aggressive in curbing carbon emissions and is extremely aggressive on like the government of Brazil to save the Amazon because that has an effect on it. It's not just what we do here and, you know, the amount of cars we drive and all that kind of stuff, which is a huge factor. But, you know, the, the nature has a way of regulating itself. So if we destroy it, we lose the regulation. You know, so when you cut down insane chunks of the Amazon, then nature loses the trees that play an incredibly important role in the ecosystem. Like this is, this is basic high school science that we all learned in biology class. Um, and obviously you then take that to a lot more a PhD level depth, um, which we can't do, but um, it's just, it, it's so obvious that it's, it's almost hard to get mad because you're just like dumbfounded, but then you see the, the cataclysmic results of it and anger definitely enters the equation. Yeah. Yeah. And you made a good point it is, is we got to vote. We got to vote for the people who want to help us move forward and change. And, and we can't be stuck here. We got to, we got to move things forward. And, uh, science <laughs> has proven time and time again, um, which is interesting. And to kind of segue into another kind of topic on the same kind of length is that president Trump had, did a big town hall this week on ABC. And he says that he could have not done more to stop the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, I know that kind of lights you up when he says something like that. What do you think to that? Yeah, let's go ahead and... Uh... Hit the f- 
Could you have done more to stop it? I don't think so. I think what I did by closing up the country, I think I saved two, maybe two and a half, maybe more than that lives. I really don't think so. I think we did a very good job. Yeah, Joe, I think what makes me so mad about this is he's right. There is nothing more he could have done because he's an incompetent boob. Like, it's not, it's not that there isn't more that could have been done. It's he could not do more because he does not have the empathy to care about other people the work ethic to put in what needed to be done, nor the intelligence or the humility to listen to the experts around him to follow their instructions. I'm mad because he's right, and we elected him president. Yeah, right. And he was kind of going off on, on, on a tangent. You know, him? he's going to say— On a tangent? No way. He's going to say what he needs to say to— you know, to fill in his base, to hear, explain to them what exactly he's been doing, and everything's all good. And he you just know, lies about the- it. And I think that's the frustrating thing, too, that I still am just trying to figure out, like, how does he just get away with saying, like, the most ridiculous stuff? And he, it's not like he goes unchallenged. And there was it was actually very funny to watch Twitter the other night during this town hall because you had some people killing George Stephanopoulos, who was the moderator, for not pushing him hard enough. While you had other people going like, oh my God, he, Stephanopoulos is such a jerk. I can't believe he's he's testing Trump. And it's like, okay, maybe he's doing a good job if both sides are mad. Uh, yeah. That's not always the greatest test of journalism, but it sometimes can be a pretty good one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it's just frustrating that when he does get checked and it's super obvious to anyone that like, we've all seen people lie. And when they get checked, how they react. And he's not good when he gets checked. He's just he just shuts down and like goes into it's it's like he's a robot that someone uh, poured water on all of a sudden. And so you know he when he does that stuff, it's just like yeah, it's pretty obvious you're lying. But how does his base still believe it? And you know that that was something we were talking about yesterday when we were prepping for the show. Is like how have we gotten to the point? where the West Coast is on fire, where almost 200,000 people are dead from coronavirus, where he lies about all of it all the time, and, you know, he does stuff like the story we're going to talk about next with ICE and, and what the administration has done to, I don't know, attempt a genocide? I don't know what they're doing. They're just evil, cruel people. And that the polling doesn't move. That the same 30% of people that supported him full-hearted four years ago are still there. Like, how did—I just don't—I can't comprehend how none of this moves basically anybody. Mm. Uh, I wish I had an answer. I wish I had a definitive chart to show you why this is happening. Or why people feel this way, but I can't. And I've never seen, and a lot of people have said this, I've never seen supporters or a base for a president or a presidential candidate much like his. It's truly unique uh, when you sit back and watch these rallies uh, and everyone kind of coming together and people still not wear masks. It's unbelievable. I, uh, I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Unless we mandate it nationally, I don't know how we're going to kind of move forward. Honestly. I mean, do you have an answer there? No. Um, I mean, the vaccine is going to come in, 
hopefully people will take it and hopefully it'll be effective. But, but even, no. But even that, not everyone's going to take it. Are you going to take the vaccine a vaccine as soon as it comes out? Because I don't know if it I'm comes going out, to. It, depend, it depends. Like if it's a, if it's a Trump special, then no. Um, if, if it's clear that like the scientists and the scientific community is sounding the alarms that this thing was politically motivated and it's not effective or it's not safe or it hasn't passed all the testing and they're not sure, then yeah, no, I, I'm not going to be in a rush to take it. Um, if the scientific community is behind it, then yeah, I, I will. I, I, I will trust science. But the idea that, you know, you have, you literally had this happen yesterday too. Um, Dr. Robert Redford, who is, I think he's the director of the CDC. He's one of the higher ups of the CDC. He said, uh, you know, masks could basically eliminate the, or not basically eliminate, but masks might actually be more effective than the vaccine. The vaccine, uh, that is most advanced, I guess, in trials right now is only a 70% efficacy. And if people would just all wear masks, like the virus would have nowhere to go. It wouldn't spread. And so if we could just get people to wear masks, like we'd be in a different place as a country and we can't even get people to do that. It's like, hey, all the things that you want, all the things that you're mad about, if you would just mask up instead of thinking that it was, and I cannot believe Bill Barr said this, like the attorney general, I mean, I can because he's a horrible, horrible human being. Um, he said yesterday, he goes, wearing a mask is the greatest intrusion of civil liberties since slavery. Like, he compared it to slavery. Wow. Which is nuts. It's like, not only is that insulting on a lot of levels and wrong, it's just like, you look at other places in the world, part of the reason that Asia has done so well with the virus is because, you know, after they obviously were on the front lines of it, where it started in China to spread most quickly there is a mask wearing culture over there they do this stuff on the regular they're there because of the smog and because of some of the things that have happened over there with diseases telling people in asian countries to put on a mask is like second nature and so they just accept it they moved on europe got over themselves and moved on but in america there's just a group of people that always seem to have to fight everything they, they there's like this american rebel mentality that is hurtful not only to others, but it's hurtful to themselves. Like, it's not like it's, it's helping them. And that's, that's the other thing, too. It's like people are acting against their own self-interest, and they're just too uninformed to, to figure it out no matter how many times they're told. And they won't listen to any of the people telling them because that would end their rebellion. Yeah, you know, it's almost like you're waving something in their face saying, we're going to take your freedom. Don't you be doing this, and I don't understand that message, especially in the message of a mask where it's you're actually helping people. You, you're, you're, it's a selfless move. Yes, you're, you're protecting yourself, but you're protecting others too by wearing a mask, and people don't either care about that or they don't see that, and you can't force anyone to, to, to see that. And so that's unfortunately, that's, that's where, where we're at. Here. Yeah, it's like the flag on the stick that we're waving in their face actually says, like, here is your freedom. And for some reason, they can't read it and it, they think it's like taking away freedom. Yeah, exactly. One other more important and interesting story this week. And this one I feel like is, I feel like this could be one we talk about next week again, Joe, because I think this is just getting started because this is a massive, massive deal. And even in the age of Trump, where there are 100 administration ending scandals that happen every week. This one feels a little bit extra, like there's going to be some real congressional oversight, like there's going to be some real investigations into this. And that is with ICE uh, at these detention centers at the border. And there was a doctor that was performing hysterectomies 
basically sterilizing women without their consent. They would somehow, you know, lost in translation, get them to sign something, literal lost in translation, translation between languages, get them to sign something. This information coming forward because of a whistleblower complaint from a nurse who worked there. And it's just, there's so many layers of how this is messed up. Um, starting with, I mean, top line, holy crap. Like, imagine if you just, like you were trying to come to a new country and next thing you know, you're being told you're going into surgery and then you can't have kids. Yeah. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here. The doctor who did this, uh, the, the whistleblower called him the uterus collector. Hmm. And the, he had apparently had some kind of like $500,000 settlement, I think with Medicare and Medicaid fraud five years prior. So he should have never gotten any kind of government contract, government work ever again. Honestly, probably should have lost his, it sounds like something you should lose your medical license before. I don't know. Um, that seems pretty messed up. Um, but it just, it goes to show what happens when you have an administration who sees people of color as less than human. Like this is an attempted miniature genocide. It is literally an attempt at ex- at extinguishing a race of people because if you can't reproduce, you can't reproduce and they've taken away their ability to, to have kids and thus further their families and, and, and continue their lineage. And it's just, I, it's heartbreaking, man. Like, I don't know. For some reason today, like a lot of times, I think the last couple of weeks on this podcast, I feel like I've been ranting and angry. Like I'm just sad today, man. Like all this stuff is just, it's just brutal. It, it takes a toll on the lack of humanity that is being displayed by a government that we all elected. Yeah. We're in the early stages of this story. I heard a, I heard a little bit about it on MSNBC um, and uh, a few other networks um, they're still trying to kind of assess it out, and if this is coming from the top, if this if this is really happening or given uh, orders from our government, then we that is a situation, man. Like what what are we doing? Where why are we doing this? What who's given these orders? You know, uh, and the, these poor women and these families, it's it's horrendous, yeah. man. In a way, it ties in with another big story this week um, that we, we, I guess I can kind of loop in here too, the Breonna Taylor settlement. Um, you have tw- a $12 million settlement by the Louisville Police Department. Um, and it just, it begs a question wh- where these two tied together for me is like, what is what is justice in this case? Like, how do you even begin to try to describe what justice is to try to replace someone's life? Like in Breonna Taylor's case, like she was murdered. There's no twelve million dollars will help out her family tremendously. It's kind of really screwed up because the twelve million, and I'm not saying that they don't deserve it, but like, where's that twelve million dollars coming from? Probably taxpayers in Louisville. Why? Why are? Why isn't there a separate fund that comes out of something from the police themselves? Like, why doesn't that come out of the police budget? Why isn't there? You know, why doesn't it come out of the police pension fund? Why does it come from taxpayers directly? Um, so, like, that's screwed up. But even on the other end of that, outside of how messed up police um, settlements are in general, like, 
$12 million is not justice for Breonna Taylor's family. It's helpful. I'm glad they got it. They clearly are okay with it on whatever level they can be okay with it because they accepted the, the deal. But it's not justice. She can't bring her back. You can't bring this, yeah. this human being back. And the same is true in, in this case with ICE. You can't undo that as far as I know. Maybe there is a way. I don't I don't know exactly. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if there's a way even to do like, um, you know, to if a woman now could like donate her eggs and they could, you know, scientifically test tube, whatever. But like I, the, the, the process of getting pregnant and going through, you know, an entire pregnancy and giving birth to a child, like there, there is something incredibly special that happens with mothers and their children with that, that I, I now have enough friends who are moms that they've been able to explain that to me and, and I get to see it, um, the, the special bond they have and watch them go through the process. And you, you just took that away from these women. And the lack of humanity in that and the inability to get justice in that, like just, it just messes me up, man. Like I'm glad that the rest of the stuff we're talking about today is like fun and, and, you know, that's kind of what I love about doing the pod. The way we do it is like we get, we talk about serious stuff. It's important and it needs attention, but then we can kind of finish with a smile on our face because this week's just been, it's just been brutal. And that, that stuff, eventually you just go like, what is justice there? It's impossible to define and we need to set up systems. We need to set up a world in which this evil shit doesn't happen in the first place. And with that, the happy stuff begins. Hey, get off my lawn. Joseph, you have something you'd like to say. Man, and I'm sure you've been through this when we're all driving on the road, sitting in traffic, behind some people. Someone has their blinker on. Okay, I'm behind someone. They're going to turn right here. Oh, they don't turn. Maybe they they missed their turn. Let's go to the next one. You're still behind them. Blinker's still on. They're going to turn here. It's coming, right? Oh, no, they're not going to turn either. They're not going to turn there. It's like, at what point, A, do you just commit to the turn and then just do a UE, reevaluate, check your GPS, make sure you're in the right uh, vicinity, and then go from there. You just can't keep going, stop and go, stop and go with your blinker on. It's not you about me? you. I feel you. you. Feel and me? guess what? Joe, I did this yesterday. I was on Georgia Avenue in D.C., and I was in a right turn lane that I didn't know was going to be a right turn only lane. I should know because I made the same mistake previously. Luckily, in the previous instances, I've been able to get over. And this one, I was kind of in the flow of traffic. The light wasn't red. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to not be a jerk. And because we had talked about our on our prep call earlier in the day, because you, you, Joe Girard, had brought this up. It was fresh in my mind. And I went, That's right. you know what? I'm going to make Joe proud. I'm going to make the world proud. I'm going to be selfless here. Yes. And you know what I did? You committed. I made a right turn. You committed to the right turn. I made a right turn. Even though it wasn't the right turn that you wanted, you committed to it because the people were behind you. So then you looped around and you got out. And you know what Google Maps did? It readjusted my route. Amazing! And now, sports. All right, let's do some hoops and then let's get into our football quick hit segment. Uh... Pretty remarkable uh, turnaround in the Western Conference semifinals. For the second straight series, the Denver Nuggets come back from 3-1 down. It's one thing to do it against the Utah Jazz. Very good team. Donovan Mitchell, fantastic player. Rudy Gobert, fantastic player. But 
the Clippers were supposed to be title uh, either favorites or co-favorites this year with the other team in L.A., the Lakers, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and they have so much star power. They were a super deep roster. They had dudes who could score like one through eight. It's a really talented team. And they got up 3-1. And then they lost 4-3 in seven games. Joe, what was the reaction out in L.A. to all this stuff? I know it's still a Lakers town, but like... That's right. And I'm sure the Clippers got some attention they didn't want. Uh, I mean, people were just like, man, like throw their hands up in the air. I'm like, man, really? And you're right. It is a Lakers town. No matter what, like the Clippers can have an incredible run. They can probably win a couple and it'll always still be a Lakers town. Even Magic Johnson tweeted that. I'm not sure if you saw that this week where it will always be a Lakers town. Not Uh, shocking for Magic. Right on brand. Right on brand. Little bit of shade. Not too much, but just a little. Um and they like, I mean, they were up three one. They had this, they had this series in the bag. I thought, and a lot of people thought, and they just kind of, they just got fatigue, or they got in their heads about it. There wasn't, they lost a lot of continuity, according uh, to uh, their head coach. So, I mean, I don't know. And and now Denver advances, and now they face the Lakers here in the Western Conference uh, Finals. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's tough to kind of say what what kind of how they kind of fell apart. Um, but they definitely did. They definitely fell apart, and people are now, you know, they're focusing all their efforts now on the Lakers, and hopefully uh, they're hoping for a Lakers uh, victory here. Yeah, it's weird because it's like some Paul George juju met some Clippers juju, and even Kawhi Leonard couldn't overcome it. You know, Kawhi obviously has his championship pedigree with San Antonio last year in Toronto, um, one of the best players in the league, no doubt. It doesn't take away from that. And that said, he was awful in Game 7. Um, you know, he and George, I think, went 2 of 18 uh, down the stretch. So, just brutal performances from them. And Kawhi, last year, in a Game 7, in the same round of the playoffs, uh, just took over a game against Philadelphia. He wound up taking 37 shots, was absolutely unbelievable. Hits the, the four-bounce shot at the end and, and wins it. And, obviously, Toronto goes on and wins the whole thing. So, you have that, where Paul George, who's had a bunch of playoff failures, like, and the Clippers, who, have, who are now 0-8, in games in which, in their franchise history where they had the chance to advance to the conference finals, which is just an unbelievable stat. Uh, it's just, it's brutal, man. And Doc Rivers is a really good coach. I'm glad that Steve Ballmer's not overreacting and, and firing him. Uh, that roster is really good. And that, that's kind of, I think, the bigger point, though. As disappointing as this is, and it's disappointing. It's, it's a failure in, in regards to the season. I do think there was a bit of an overreaction and people going, oh my God, I can't believe this. And they immediately go to what the Clippers traded to give or to get Paul George, which I will remind people of a couple of things. One, it was not just that they traded five first round picks and Shea Gilgis Alexander, who is basically another first round pick, a terrific young player who was only in his second year. Um, It's not just that they traded that for Paul George. It's that if they don't make that trade, they also don't get Kawhi Leonard. I think if they could have signed Kawhi Leonard and not made that trade for Paul George, then they would have. That wasn't an option. So it's worth it to take that risk because you get Kawhi Leonard, who is either the first, second, or third best player in the league. So that's thing one. Thing two, nobody could have predicted COVID. And I don't just mean the the actual disease, but in this in this case, what I mean is the delay in the season, right? It It's one thing to be able to build throughout a season and then by April... Uh, and then May, you continue to build and you go through some playoff tests and hopefully you're still playing by June. Well, when the season stops in March and then you have to pick back up and try to rediscover rhythm and you're in this weird bubble scenario, like it was just a completely different season. And so to try to judge 
the totality of whether or not that was worth it, whether or not it was smart based off one season that's the weirdest season in NBA history is a miss to me. Um, that said, we'll see what happens next year, how the season starts, when it starts, how long it goes, all that kind of stuff. They've, they've really got to you know make a run at it next year because then you're at risk of losing Kawhi after two years and Paul George after two years. And if they don't resign, um, then you're really screwed because you don't have any of the future picks, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's a lot of pressure for sure moving forward, um, but that was always going to be the case. But to the people that are automatically jumping and, and screaming about how this is such a failure and they're all chokers and you know how could they... like. This is the weirdest NBA season ever, and I don't want to draw any big conclusions off of just what happened in the bubble. I'm not going to yeah. discount whoever wins the championship because that's still an incredible accomplishment, but I'm also going to take a, a probably a little bit softer uh, softer approach to the people who don't. Yeah, and, and Doc Rivers actually took the blame uh, on the loss. Um, I mean, that's the kind of guy he is, the kind of coach he is. Um, he's a phenomenal coach. As of this morning, it looks like he is going to come back uh, next season, um, which makes all the sense. Um, and they're going to really go for it. Obviously they don't, they don't have a choice now to really all chips all in for, for next season for the Clippers. No doubt. All right. Every week we're going to talk about four games. Uh, we look back a little bit. We look forward a little bit, little football quick hit segment, set hut hut. All right, Joe team that was most impressive to you from this past weekend in the NFL. Uh, for me, it was my New England Patriots. I mean, uh, I thought we won. Of course, with, dude. With, of uh, course, you're gonna go with freaking Cam Newton and Billy B. I mean, he, they they look great. I mean, a couple bonehead plays in there, uh, uh, but I, I I honestly thought they they gelled pretty well. And for uh, for a new quarterback and some new defensive players, I think uh, you know they beat up on the Dolphins pretty well. So I thought it was a good good victory for the Pats. Yeah, defensively, obviously, really impressive. Uh, hold the Dolphins to 11 points. Not that that's a super explosive offensive team, but uh, anytime you hold an NFL team under two touchdowns, you, you had a good day at the office. Uh, I'm going to go with Seattle. They put up 38 in their win, and uh, Russell Wilson went 31 of 35. That's wow. nuts. Uh, four touchdowns. Um, they barely ran it, and to be able to be one-dimensional and that effective is, is really impressive. Seattle's going to be good. Um, Russ is incredible, and, and I think... You know, in, in a lot of ways, Wilson's career is, is Tom Brady-esque. Obviously, Brady's is at a different level because you know, we've seen it all the way through. And he's got six championships and um, is almost at this point inarguably the greatest quarterback of all time, as much as it pains me to say it. Uh, but Wilson won early thanks to his defense and has then blossomed into truly one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the NFL. And that's what Brady did. That Those first couple Super Bowls, it he was winning because he was surrounded by a great defense. And then he really blossomed into being the championship caliber quarterback that his resume said he was. And, and I feel like Wilson's done the same thing. Most disappointing team for you this past weekend, Justin? Uh, I think it was the Browns. I mean, they got beat up pretty bad by the Ravens, 38-6. to um, I mean... They, I don't know if it's just their energy or, or what. I mean, they just didn't look like they came ready to play for that game. Uh, and the Ravens, obviously, they're a great team. Um, I actually have the Ravens going pretty far this year in the playoffs. Um, 
but they they really put a, a beat down to the to the Browns this past uh, this past week. Yeah, when you have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield, you should not score six points. That's embarrassing. Uh, I'm going to go with the Lions, who had a very Lions weekend. Uh, they just lost a game. They had no business losing. Um, they let the Bears come back on them, and then Matthew Stafford, as he typically does, puts them in position to win, and then someone else screwed it up. And I feel bad. DeAndre Swift, rookie running back, he literally has the ball in his hands in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown with like six seconds to go, and he drops it uh, on third down, fourth down, final play of the game. They can't get it in, uh, and it's just brutal. Like, you, you run a play, you get the touchdown. It should have been the game-winner, and they he dropped the ball. Yeah. And uh, it's so Lions, which is so disappointing because for years, that's just that's who they are and who they've been. All right, uh, game that we are most looking forward to just from a sheer entertainment value standpoint this weekend. Uh, for me, I'm going Falcons-Cowboys. I think they're two uh, explosive teams. I think uh, I believe the Cowboys are home too. And it, this is kind of one of those games where anything can happen. Uh, two, two decent teams. Uh, great uh, one, one team pretty great offensively. Falcons have got a pretty good D. Um, and I think that, you know, and the Falcons coming off the last week, I, I think they have definitely have a good shot. It's definitely not a, 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 a hand-me-over. And I think uh, we're going to see a battle. Uh this, this weekend with the Falcons and Cowboys. Not to double up, but two teams that we already talked about. I'm going to go Patriots-Seahawks. It's the Sunday nighter for a reason. You got Cam versus Russell, uh, and that's that's super fun. Like, I'm excited to watch Cam on a primetime stage with New England. I think that he's going to be in the MVP conversation this year. Um, the dude can play, and he's been hurt a ton since his MVP year, and a lot of people think that he... He can, and it, to me, like it's just it's just the injuries. When he's healthy, he's great. Uh, when he's not healthy, uh, it's it's not pretty. And he's been unhealthy a lot. He's healthy now, and so I want to see what Cam can do on Sunday night in Seattle. All right, surest bet. So now we're now we're now we're gambling. Uh, you look at the lines. Is there one that stands out? A little stinky fish action that you're like, mm, I'm gonna take this team. Uh, if you were betting actual money, I don't know. Maybe you are betting actual money. Uh, I'm not a big gambler, but if I were to take not on uh, football, nah, nah. <laughs> I think I think it's gonna be if I were to put money down, it'd be Chiefs, and they're playing the Chargers. So, and I got Mahomes to kind of clean up this this weekend. He's been playing amazingly already. So, uh, I got the Chiefs over the Chargers. Uh, I'll take that line. I like that just because the Chiefs kill people. Like they were already they're given eight and a half, and it's on the road, which. Vegas would tell you is a stupid bet, uh, typically, historically, but the Chiefs do things that historically don't make any sense because they're really good. Uh, Philadelphia is only, or Philadelphia is getting a point at home against the Rams. Philly's O line is terrible. Um, I watched them play Washington last weekend, and Washington got eight sacks on them, and the Rams have some dudes on their D line. Um, I just I think the Rams are going to win that game outright. Uh, so I will go with the Rams on the road. Again, probably stupid because you got a West Coast team playing at one o'clock on the East Coast. Um, but I just that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because um, I you, you can't protect Carson Wentz, and uh, that's an issue when you can't protect your quarterback. Look good, feel good, do good. Uh, look good this week, Joseph. Uh, has our eye on our TV, and it's telling us that our eyes should not be on our phones. Basically, that is correct. Uh, there's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, uh, and it's all about social media, the uh, the effects 
of social media, the, the good effects, the bad effects, the social anxiety that social media can bring to those, depression, people get anxious, there's a lot of comparisons. I mean, it's, it's, it is a incredible documentary, and we should really put the phone down a lot more than we do, honestly. Check that out. Also, side note, there's another town hall tonight with presidential candidate Joe Biden on CNN. So that might be worth a watch as well. Good stuff there, Joe. We'll definitely check all those out. Uh, all right, feel good this week. You had some questions for me. Well, I, I, I do because, I, I, and I've asked you this before, is that your supplements, you, you're someone who works out pretty regularly like me. Do you take supplements? Do you take vitamins? Do you take post-workout, pre-workouts, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I do. Um, not a lot. Uh, luckily, Momentus has some amazing products. The company that I work with uh, through the Chain with the Best podcast and, and that I just work with in general, um, they make pro- they, like, protein was their base, how they started, and they've, they've since expanded. So I, I basically take everything in their line. So that is a collagen supplement that I try to take with uh, pre-workout, which I've been using on its pre-workout for a couple of years now and I, I like a lot i think it's high quality it's not one of these ones that's going to help or like melt your face off um it just does the job it gets you ready gives you some energy so i'll mix the the collagen and the uh the pre-workout together and then afterwards i will have uh a protein shake with some creatine in it and those are both momentous products so that's pretty much it um I take a sleep you- supplement every night. Um, that, that again, Momentus has their their sleep. It's got a mix of melatonin and a couple of other products, uh, jujube seed, vitamin C, uh, that are really good and, and help not just get a little more sleep, but a higher quality sleep. Uh, your body does more recovering while you sleep. So um, those are that's pretty much where I keep it. Um, and then during the winter, I'll take a vitamin D supplement. Um, that was a huge, actually, a, like a really important discovery in my life a couple of years ago. Um, got some, had some seasonal depression and I was recommended by a doctor. Hey, well, one of the things that regulates your, your levels on all that stuff is vitamin D. We get it naturally when we go outside. And so obviously when you're not outside as much in the winter, that's a huge cause of seasonal depression. Started taking a vitamin D supplement, felt better within a couple of days. So, uh, that, that's mostly it. The rest of my vitamins and everything else come in my diet. Yeah, that's good. No, that's that's good. You, so you, you are doing the right thing with your multivitamins and uh, post workout stuff. And uh, I don't take a lot of pre workout stuff because a lot of it's unless it's um, stimulant free. Um, too much caffeine will just I'll just start bouncing off the walls and you start jittering and shaking and stuff. Um, so, but I agree with all that. So uh, good on you, especially if you're working out uh, pretty regularly and with intensity. Uh, yeah. You're only helping. You're only helping yourself. For sure. You know, one of the things that we talk about all the time is working out doesn't make you strong. Recovery does. And that's a that's a huge thing to understand is when you work out, you break your body down and then the recovery is what it it builds back stronger every time. Joe Biden might tell you it builds back better. Um, So if you are getting these little micro tears in your muscles and and they they fill in and and heal and yeah, it's really important to to prioritize recovery and, and Diet and supplementation can help that a lot. Last but not least, Joe, do good this week. What are we doing? We're going to read a book, man. That's a great idea, Joe. You know, and I know you've been putting off doing a lot of that on yourself. But, I mean, reading is healthy, man. Like, you know, expand your worldview. It could be any kind of reading, by the way. It could be fiction or nonfiction. 
you know, I'm, I'm with it. Take your mind to a different place. Get some new perspectives. Uh, I, I'm open. I, I think, I think, especially now with all the madness happening, put yourself in a room, shut the door, turn your phone off, and read. It's good for the soul. Totally agree. I and this is on some level a challenge to myself because I have I got in a really good rhythm when I came back from Utah. I was reading a lot. I finished a couple of books that I've been wanting to. And then things started to pick up again with soccer, and I've been really bad about it. And literally, my book is sitting right here. Uh, I've been reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Um, but I've also got some other books that I've been, I've been wanting to read and finish. And um, I, I, I feel like I can find 15 minutes every day to just take some time for me and make myself a better person by reading and, and learning. So uh, read a book. I like that as Do Good this week. Good job, Joe. You did good. That is our show for this week. Make sure that if you like it, you subscribe, rate, and review, whether it is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to the show. Uh, and if you don't like it, you know, remember what your mom told you about if you didn't have nice things to say to not say anything at all. You know, just kind of move on with your life. Don't be a jerk. Another theme on today's show. All right, that's it. Show's over. And remember, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. This is Chasing Interesting.